Last week marked the 62nd, that is 62nd anniversary of the death of the five missionary martyrs in Ecuador, South America, uh, who left the comfort of their homes in the United States, took their wives and children to the jungles of South America. And in the process of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the Huarani Indians, were killed by means of spear to the chest. Um, all five died in their attempts to love these people for the sake of Christ. All five died for the sake of the gospel. Now, uh, put yourself in their shoes. What could have possibly motivated them to leave everything for that? To leave home, comforts, future, potential, to receive a wooden spear in the chest. One of those men, of course, was Jim Elliott, and he famously wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I have this statement hanging on the wall in my office because it reminds me about what's important. Um, this statement reveals Jim Elliott's motivation. But it goes beyond revealing his motivation. It actually exposes his delights. And those delights are the very things that controlled all, every aspect of Jim Elliot's life. Jim Elliot was, Jim Elliot was consumed by what he delighted in. You know, I've, I've lived my whole life in the church. I was born into a Christian family. When I was two years old, my parents moved to Ecuador, South America, because of the story I just told you. They moved there in 1962 because of what happened in 1956. And they took me and my two older siblings uh, with them to be missionaries in that country. And so I've grown up in the church. When I was 15, we moved back to the States. My dad took a small church in Northern California and uh, he pastored that for 18 years, and I grew up in the church. I grew up knowing God and, and seeing what I have seen. And yet, I can tell you that it is only in the last 15 years that I've discovered that my relationship with God is meant to be a pursuit of delight instead of duty. Remarkably, I read all of Piper's books on the subject when I was a young man. I read Desiring God, Piper's first book. I read uh, The Pleasures of God. I read Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. I read all those books, and so I know intellectually, and I've known intellectually for quite some time, this whole concept of Christian hedonism, the idea of pursuing de your delight in God. I've known it up here but it hasn't been until lately in my life that I've actually pursued it in that way. A pursuit of delight. I, uh, I began to really truly see in the scriptures about 15, maybe 20 years ago at the most, why Jesus came to this planet. He didn't come to add on more burden as he uh, accused the Pharisees of doing to their people. 
He didn't come to make our life more burdensome. What did he say? He said, I come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come that you might have abundant life, joyful life, light of delight. I've come to, to give you freedom. In fact, he said, I've come to give you my joy. Divine joy is why he came. And so, um, over my Christian experience, I've, I've grown into a deeper and fuller understanding of what it means to truly follow Christ joyfully. And I'm thankful for it. Now, I'm not saying to you that the Christian life is easy and uh, a lazy stroll down the yellow brick road. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God is a happy God and our pursuit of him is actually about pursuing true and lasting delight. And I want to suggest to you this morning that God wants our Christianity to be a life of pursuing delight in him. What we delight in will reveal whether or not we have truly experienced a Christian conversion. Our affections will demonstrate where our heart is. If the Holy Spirit has indeed converted us, we will actually be in love with God, be in love with his word, be in love with his people, and enjoy the things that we experience. We, we will enjoy coming on Sunday, enjoy being preached at, believe it or not, enjoy hearing the word of God taught, enjoy other Christians, enjoy spending time with serving, loving, and so forth. God will be our delight. And, you know, God knew that we would struggle with this um, because of our nature. And so he added this great verse in Psalm 37 that turns out to be a command. Delight in the Lord is the command because he knew we would struggle doing so. He knew we, our default would be duty, you know, list keeping. And so he says, no, <laughs> delight in me, delight in me. Um, now I want to Reread a few of the verses that Pastor Rick just read to emphasize this point. We're in the second stanza of Psalm 119, and I'm going to reread verses 14 through 16. Follow along, if you would, and, and pay attention to the words delight. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. As we've discussed for the past month or so, this stanza is about the pursuit of holiness. What does it mean for someone who loves God to pursue holiness? That's what this stanza is about. Uh, we, we learned that the pursuit of holiness includes seeking God with our whole heart, verse 10. It includes storing up God's word, verse 11, in our hearts so much so that it flows out of us to others around us, like a river, in fact, verse 13. It flows out of us. But he concludes this stanza with something really important and very powerful. All this is to be done. All this is to be pursued in the context of delight. Delight in me. And I want to suggest to you that this delight is a very important piece of what it means to pursue holiness. I, as I was studying this text, I started down the road of works-based legalistic thinking, which is my default. Uh, 
for some reason, that, that says these kind of things. Well, if you want to experience delight, John, uh, you're going to have to put in the hard time of wholehearted seeking, and that might include some, I don't know, personal floggings, um, maybe some mind-numbing meditation, you know, maybe a little, I don't know, memorizing scripture in a cold room, Something like that, evangelistic fervor, so you're foaming at the mouth, you know, if you're going to really pursue me. And the reason, John, that you don't have joy, the reason you don't experience delight is because you're not doing these things. My mind actually went there this week. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit caught me before I got, it got away from me and I ended up saying that to you. Seriously. That is not grace-driven delight. I want to show you here why delight is described, why delight is important to the Christian experience. What I want you to see this morning is that the pursuit of holiness is not only delightful, but the pursuit of holiness is a pursuit of delight. I want you to hear that. The pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of delight. Well, let's define delight so we are all on the same page as we move forward. How would you define delight if you had to? The the dictionary defines it like this. A high degree of pleasure or enjoyment, joy, rapture. Uh, So if we're going to understand these verses that are before us today, we need to understand delight and agree on it. Are you one who thinks that enjoying pleasure is not really appropriate for the holy Christian? Are are you like me in that regard or like I was? Uh, If you're you're having too much fun, it's probably wrong. My mom used to tell me this, John, if it tastes good, it's bad for you. (laughs) I was like, all right, file that away. And by the way, that is true. I think, I don't know, maybe not. But Do you actually uh, think that fun, enjoyment, and certainly pleasure really isn't associated with the Christian life? Uh, then what do we do with Psalm 37.4? What do we do with Psalm 119? Where this idea of delight is thrown into the mix for the Christian. And I think this is critically important. And it's a biblical concept that's not just isolated to the verses I've read. It seems to be ubiquitous in Scripture. Um, How can I actually delight in God? Look, Look at these verses again. And let me just, in case you're not convinced of where I'm going, I'm going to Open up the the spectrum here a little bit to include all of Psalm 119. Look at verse 47. I have it on the overhead for you. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Uh, Your testimonies are my delight. What what is being said here? And if it's what we think it is, are we experiencing it? Uh, An interesting thing about delight is that God created us with desires that draw us towards certain things. Uh, what, what brings delight into your life? For, for Sherry and I, uh, we've just uh, 
started drinking coffee not too long ago. Uh, our oldest son convicted us, convicted us of our waywardness and introduced us to coffee. And so we started drinking, and we actually enjoy coffee now. You know, some of you, you know, purists might not call that coffee, but we had all sorts of sugar and creams, and it's more like a shake. My older brother says, you're just drinking milkshakes is what you're doing. Um, but we're calling it coffee, and we enjoy it. So much so that we start talking about it the night before. <laughs> what kind of coffee are you going to grind tomorrow, John? Uh, and then before we go, make sure you start the coffee when we get up. Hey, have you started the coffee? You know, this is kind of where we're at right now. It's sad, isn't it? <laughs> we also enjoy certain locations. We, we love Cannon Beach. We go there. We do nothing at Cannon Beach but enjoy Cannon Beach. Walk up and down the beach. We love the storms there. Um, it's just delightful. We, we delight in specific people. We enjoy certain ones. Uh, we enjoy enjoy hobbies. And, and you guys are just like me, aren't you? You have your delights in life, and they include things very similar to this. Our, our delights get us into trouble when the sin that dwells within each of us twists that good gift that God has given um, into something that he hasn't intended. Uh, delight is this idea of delight, the, the experience of delight, is a gift from God that draws us toward enjoyable things. It's designed to do that. If God, consider, if God is the ultimate reality, the most beautiful reality, the most valuable reality, and the most enjoyable reality, wouldn't it make sense to, to you that God has designed us to be drawn to him if, in fact, we are creatures of delight? When we sinfully try to make created things an end in themselves, we miss out on the purpose for which they were created, which is to lead us into delighting in the Creator. Every year, for the past 15 years, I've taken the West Valley girls soccer team on a team retreat at Camp Dudley at the beginning of the season. And this past year, uh, I took them on a midnight hike for the first time. Um, around Clear Lake. And it was a beautiful starry, starry night. Um, and as we began to hike, all the girls were being girls, of course, shining flashlights in each other's faces and laughing and giggling and being loud, generally. Um, but about 10 or 15 minutes into the hike, I asked the girls to turn off their flashlights, which was met with consternation. Um, but after a little bit of coaxing and some threats, they finally turned them off. And uh, once their eyes adjusted, we began to hike again only by starlight. And an amazing thing happened. And those of you who know anything about high school girls will appreciate this. They became quiet. They became still. They actually became observant. It, it, was, it was as if, as if there was some kind of delight or awe that overcame them because they saw something they hadn't recognized earlier, stars. And the, the occasion was so perfect, I was able to talk to them about the creator of the stars and how he created those to draw their hearts to him. And they're like, you know, 
And they normally look like that, but this was, <laughs> wow. They didn't need their flashlights. What's the point? God created light, friends, as he did all other gifts to draw us to himself. And as long as we have the artificial taking the place of the divine and the temporary taking the place of the eternal and the finite taking the place of the infinite, we really limit the experience of delight. And I think we actually pull the rug out from underneath absolute joy. C.S. Lewis called the the worldly reflections of God, things like stars and flashlights, as patches of God light. That's what he called it. And he said we need to make sure to let our minds run back up those sunbeams to the sun. And that's what happens when you go out at night and look at the starry sky. It draws you Godward, doesn't it? So this is, this is desiring delight, uh, get, getting a taste of it in your mouth and wanting more. So how do we make sure that our delight is in God? Let's, let's think a little more deeply about desiring delight. Why do you do what you do? Why do you get up and put the clothes on you do? Why do you sit here for an hour every Sunday? Why do you go to the places you eat? Why do you do what you do? And I'll tell you why. You do what you do because you want to, right? Now, that's profound, isn't it? Yeah, it's not really all that profound. But I think it's, it says something. Whatever we do, we do because it will bring us a greater degree of delight than the alternative, right? I, I don't get up and put on dumb clothes because I don't want to get laughed at, even though they're more comfortable. You know, you used to see how I dress on my day off. I don't dress like that here because I scare people. And... I decide to get on a, a, a stationary bike occasionally because the alternative makes me feel bad. And I don't want that. I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel better, so I get on a stationary bike. So whatever we do, we do because it brings us a greater degree of delight than the alternative. Thinking back to Psalm 119, 119 here. Wait. Why does the psalmist repeatedly refer to the delight that he has in the Word of God? And why do we have difficulty seeing it as he does? Why delight in the Word of God as he is? I've got some ideas. First is this, because God is delightful. We delight in delightful things, right? Um, How do we know that God is delightful? I've got three ideas. Because his word says so. His word says he's delightful. He says he's loving, kind, patient, good, merciful, etc. Think about how God reveals himself in Scripture. Starting in the earliest chapters of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it is spectacular. Um, if you want some fodder for worship, read Jonathan Edwards' sermon on the excellency of Christ. 
And you will not get very far into that before you are in utter worship because of his descriptions of Christ Jesus. His word says he's delightful. That's the first reason he's delightful. Secondly, um, his creation says so. Look at Mount Rainier. Is Mount Rainier a description of the delightful one or not? Can you truly say that the creator of that is not delightful? How about a starry, starry night like the one I described earlier? Can you truly say that the creator, the author there is not delightful? Or how about ocean life? Is that not delightful? You can't honestly say that's not delightful. It is absolutely delightful. God's word said he's delightful. His creation says he's delightful. And here's another one. You and I, by demonstrating our passions, say he's delightful. Our passions prove that God is delightful. We are God's creation, so we are attracted to beauty, to pleasure, to delight, just like he is. And it, we are told in Scripture that he has created us in his image. So what draws you, what makes you thrill with joy and delight is the same things that causes God's heart to thrill with joy and delight. So how do we know God is delightful? His word, his creation, and our passions say so. Secondly, how do we, why do we delight in the word of God? Because he's delightful. Secondly, because his word is a revelation of himself. This is from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. It's all about who God is, what he, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, you think, well, that's, that's really severe. Uh, well, read them again. They're all, they're, there is some severity there for sure, but it is just a revelation of his character, his perfections. The reason he, he, he doesn't allow murder is because he loves life. <laughs> he values life. The reason he has commandments about how we relate to one another in the Ten Commandments is because he values relationships, healthy relationships. And so he says, don't lie to one another. That messes everything up. Don't covet. Don't slander. Why? Well, because it messes up relationships, and I value relationships, healthy ones. The Word of God is a revelation of God himself. And, and so delighting in his Word only makes sense because that's where he's revealed. If we're going to really truly delight in Cannon Beach but never go, something's wrong with us. Right? In Psalm 19, David says that the created universe reveals God, but that the written word, that is the scriptures, does so way better. If getting into the presence of God is the goal where we will find, as Psalm 16 says, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, if that's the goal, then the stars, for example, uh, are like a, a rough mountain trail to that location. That's what, that's what the stars might be. But the word of God, to continue the, the comparison, is like a six-lane paved freeway into God's presence. We're not certain whether or not following that rough mountain trail is going to get us to where we want to go. I'm confident 
that being on this six-lane freeway will get me there. No doubt. Nothing's going to impede my arrival. That's what the Word of God is to us. Stars are great. We like them. They kind of draw us to Christ, you know. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firm show its handiwork. But the Word of God, friends, it renews the soul. It revives the heart. It converts us. It draws us into actual personal relationship with our Creator. What a glorious gift this is. We must delight in it. The author of Psalm 119 tells us that he delights in God's word not because he likes stories and poetry or um, it contains some secret to getting rich. He delights in God's word because that's where God is. That's where God is found. That's where God shows himself. And then why do we delight in the word? It's because we were created to be pleasure seekers. It's in our DNA. God is the happiest and most fulfilled being in the universe, and we were created in his image. We were created with urges, passions, desires, tastes that by design lead us back to the creator, like stars to God. Now, our sin, of course, like I said, may sidetrack us from God because we idolize the gifts he gives, but those gifts really are given, really, are given to draw us to himself. This is why none of us really are satisfied with the gifts we have, the things we possess. We always want more, we want bigger, we want better, right? Why is that? Why can't we be satisfied? Because things are designed by God to not satisfy, but to lead us to the place of satisfaction. So you'll never be satisfied with things. And you'll discover that sooner or later. We have insatiable um, appetites that are only satisfied in one place. Um, John Piper speaks about this often, uh, and you'll recognize uh, this illustration. John Piper says that no one ever goes to the Grand Canyon to build their self-esteem. Have you heard him say that? That's what he, he, he talks about that often. And he says the reason that we go to the Grand Canyon is to experience the delight of the creation. The awe of that majestic place. And yet, we all go there knowing that it might be a little bit dangerous to stand right on the precipice of that canyon and look over the edge, which is why they make railings. So how do we relate this to God? We know God is glorious and majestic, and we're a little bit fearful of him for good reason. <laughs> He's almighty God says he's a consuming fire in a few different places. That's scary, right? How can we actually fearlessly enter his presence seeking that source of joy and fulfillment and delight like he's designed us to do and putting away our fears? It's by being convinced that he loves us, that he actually wants our friendship and has actually saved our souls. That's how. Even though he is a little bit scary, he's committed to us. He's more committed to our joy than, than we are. He, he actually loves us infinitely and, and woos us into his presence. 
So if we want to increase our desire and capacity for delighting in God, we must be convinced that he personally cares for me. Us, certainly, but for me. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Now watch, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul rarely uses singular personal pronouns. Hardly ever. It's always plural. You, group, your church. But here he goes to the very most personal pronoun available. And he says, me. God desires, friends, a personal relationship with you. You can actually go into his presence fearlessly, looking for the things he offers, delight, joy, satisfaction. God is truly interested in a relationship with you. In Revelation chapter 2, when, when time is, is over and we all find ourselves in eternity with God, uh, have you ever pictured that? It's, we're going to be throngs of people. You think God's going to know me? It's like kind of being at a rock concert. I don't, that guy doesn't know me. You know, you're down here. But, yeah, who is that guy? That's not the case in heaven. God actually can pick you out of a crowd and say, hey, Bob, how's it going? What if that happened at a rock concert? <laughs> yeah, he knows me. That's how it is in heaven. And you say, how do I know that? Well, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, when we get there, he's going to give us a white stone. And this is and kind of a random idea from the, the Apostle John's pen. But he says that God's going to give each and every one of us a white stone with a name on it, your specific name, your nickname, that he's going to call you. And only you and him will know what's written on that stone. Yeah, you know, like the inside joke that you have with that special friend? And you call each other these nicknames? And people that are in the group have no idea what you're talking about, but you're just thinking it's the funniest thing in the world. That's going to be the relationship you're going to have with God to the nth degree. He's going to have a name that only you and him know, and he's going to know it personally, along with everybody else in the room. He'll, he'll know your face. He'll know everything about your journey getting to heaven. He'll know everything about your likes and dislikes and what drew you to him and all those things. He'll know your history better than you do. That's the God who's wooing us into his presence. So let's defend this a little bit. Reasons why we might delight in God in this way. Why we might just full on get on that six lane freeway and gun it right towards the destination. You know. All barrels. Why do we delight more in God's word than in worldly riches? Verse 14, 
makes that comparison. Do you see it? It says, I delight in God's word more than all worldly riches. Then all these cheap substitutes for God. In Psalm 19, the author says this, more to be desired are they, that is God's word, more to be desired is God's word than gold or even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And if you actually examine that verse a little bit, spend a little time thinking, it covers everything in life, everything. Sustenance, possession, passions. It's all there in verse 10 of Psalm 19. And it says, more to be desired is God's word than all of that. Why? Why is, why is it more desirable to pursue God, delight in him and his word, than his gifts and all these things that the world has to offer, the riches, physical wealth? First is because it suits our nature to do so. Do you know that this is, <laughs> this is your new nature when you come to Christ? There's actually something new about you that's different than it was about you? Um, our new nature is built by God and for God, a relationship with him, to delight in him, and that, that would be a natural thing now, whereas before it wasn't. Um, certain flowers grow better in certain regions, right? I don't know if you've ever been up on Rattlesnake Ridge, but you're never going to find an orchid up there growing wild. Um, but you go up on a similar hill in Ecuador, South America, and you will see orchids all over the place growing wild. It's the environment that makes a difference. Your heart now is different because God has saved your soul. Your passions are different now that God has saved your soul. What you like and what you dislike, what you delight in, what you ignore are different now than what they were before. See, the non-Christian doesn't enjoy the things that we do. The people who don't embrace Christ don't enjoy the preaching of the word. They think it's an absolute bore. Why would you spend your day there? I've got better things to do, like clean out my garage, things like that. What we do here is foolishness to them, isn't it? Yeah. Why? We got a new heart. We got a different program going on here. We like things differently than they do. Um, so we have a new nature. Secondly, because God is the reality behind the gifts. I said this earlier. Whatever it is that you enjoy in this life is a tool by which God woos you to himself. You enjoy family. Why? <laughs> Who's the originator of family? The father. He even calls himself the father so that you'll see the connection. He's all about family. He wants you to trace your family, that, that sunbeam back to the sun, trace that back to the Father. God is the creator and source of all things good that we experience. All things that we enjoy in this life are actually just a sample of the full supply in Christ. In the second half of verse 14, do you see the contrast there between God's word and earthly wealth. And he does that contrast because we all pursue riches. The question is, what kind of riches? What are the riches that you pursue? And your answer will let you know 
where your heart is. Um, Jesus identified this very same contrast um, between true riches and uh, temporary riches, or not true riches maybe. Things like cheap substitutes that we might exchange for God. In Luke 16, 11, he says this, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, that is worldly riches, if you haven't been faithful in that, who will entrust you with true riches? There's the contrast, true riches, God's worth and the world's worth. Uh, I have a, a way to illustrate that for you, I hope, this morning that you'll see and appreciate. $100 bill, orange, which would you rather have? This is not a trick question. Yes, because you can go buy as many oranges as you want with a $100 bill, right? Let's change the setting. We are all marooned on a desert island, no food, no water. Which would you rather have, a $100 bill or an orange? Orange. You guys are so smart. How come you came to that so quickly? What you, what you value determines your, whatever it is you choose, right? If we're on a deserted island, we'll be fighting over the orange, not the $100 bill. Um, so it depends on when you ask that question. My daughter and son-in-law, John and Michelle, are right now in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, thrashing down some uh, jungle trail. Uh, and I asked John about this whole trip because I have a vested interest in this excursion. Um, and uh, I said, how are you going to get from village one to village two down to village three, four, five, six, seven, eight? And he's never been there before. He's got a map, you know, a what's that, topographical map. He knows kind of ups and downs. He doesn't know any trails, none of that stuff. How are you going to get from here to here? He says, well, when I get to the first village, I hire a guide and he takes us to the second village. And then at that village, I'll hire a different guide and he takes us to the third village and so on through the whole thing. I says, great. What do you pay him? Do you think it's this? You know what? He, he took a load of what I'm about to tell you to pay his guides. And it's not this. It's salt and matches. They want salt and matches to spend all day to travel between village one and village two. Salt matches. That tells you their environment has something to do with their values, doesn't it? They could care less about this. None of them want this. Since, since we are in Christ, friends, we have a new heart. And we value things differently now than when we once did. We were once in darkness. Now we're in light. Once we didn't know, now we know. Once we pursued things that were temporary and the world values greatly, now we don't. Right? 
So if you're a Christian and you don't value God or his word or his people, what, what does that say? It says something about your environment, doesn't it? If you're saying, I'd rather have a piece of paper than over something life-sustaining, something's wrong, right? Um, What are our true riches? In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said this, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. And what's he do? He bestows his riches on all who call on him. God gives his people his riches. Now, I have more things, more notes that I can get into about what are those riches, but I'm going to stop here because I don't want to make you stop delighting in this sermon. But God provides for us the things that he desires us to pursue, namely himself. And so I just want to, I want to challenge you this morning to consider Psalm 119 verses 14 through 16 and, and see whether or not that delight is really the context in which you're pursuing holiness. Um, do you know why Jim Elliot went to Ecuador? It's because he delighted in God. He didn't want his name in the paper. He didn't want to raise his children in some other place than in this disgusting American soil. No. He would have loved to stay in the States just like we do and enjoy the comforts of what we do. But his delights were elsewhere. He delighted in God. And he wanted those dear people in the jungles of Ecuador to delight in the same thing. That's why he went. And what, a, what an amazing finish to that story. You know that, right? Almost 100% of the tribe that killed him and his four missionary friends came to Christ. In fact, one of the men who actually speared Jim Elliot baptized three of the children of the other missionaries in the very river that they killed their dads in. That's because someone went and shared with them what it means to delight in really what is delightful. Um, Friends, we have a God that loves us that desires a relationship, a personal relationship with us. He wants us to delight in the pursuit of him. He wants us to pursue delight because when we pursue delight, it is actually a pursuit of God. And I want to just ask you if you'd make 2018 to be this year of pursuing delight in Christ. And and you will not be disappointed Obviously, it takes faith, a little scary at first, 
to give up all and pursue Christ wholeheartedly 100%, pedal to the metal kind of thing. But my testimony to you is, and the testimony of those who have done that before, is it is well worth it. And he rewards you with more delight than you can handle. So let's pray and ask God to do that for us. Father, every week you impress us with your word, with the importance of your word, and now here this week, in a special way, you have reminded us of the unique goodness that is in you and how you fulfill our longings for delight, how you are the focus of our affections. Father, help us to be a a group of people who are not satisfied with um, lower level delights, but who are only satisfied with uh, the true and lasting, eternal, infinite delight. And we want to be your people. We want to be people who uh, impact others with this delight, as Jim Elliot did, as many in this room have with their friends. Father, bless us now as we pursue you wholeheartedly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.